sinned. You will die because Adam sinned. But there's grace in Christ. Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like, by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you look idly at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You may make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Last week we began with uh, some introductions. And I said that the study would be a little bit different because it was based on a prior study. We tried to say that we would establish uh, goals of interacting and reacting, responding uh, as Habakkuk did. And we would also uh, develop a personal plan uh, for our own dealing with difficult times uh, based on the book. We don't want to idly look and say, oh, that was really bad in Habakkuk's day. We need to have faith in dark times ourselves. As we look today and see that God says, I'm going to do a work that you wouldn't believe. Uh, uh, these things ha have already happened uh, uh, to us in our nation. I remember sitting at work. Uh, I worked in a company that did uh, computer disaster recovery. And somebody came running in and said, a plane just crashed into the, the t one of the towers. And uh, we were all on alert. I had had experience, if you remember, a number of years before that, somebody drove a truck into that building that was filled with explosives and they blew it up. And uh, in Philadelphia, where I was headquartered then, 
I literally talked to people who said I was one of those people who walked down all those flights of stairs. I was stuck on the 96th floor, whatever those, those buildings were uh, amazing. Uh, one of my companies had an office like on the hundred and something floor. Those buildings were absolutely amazing. And not long later, somebody said another plane crashed into the another tower. And you could almost get that sickly feeling with just spreading around. This wasn't an accident. The first plane wasn't a plane where the guy lost his bearings and didn't know where he was going. And then they demonstrated the second plane accelerated and turned and did everything and thousands and thousands. We'll never forget that day. And God could have said at that point, I'm doing a work in your, in your time that no one will ever believe. So we need to be prepared because maybe there's another day that we'll sit and hear the news and say, I can't believe that happened. We talked about Habakkuk's identity. We talked about his time. We talked about the possibility that his time overlapped this uh, great revival that Josiah the king had. And then Josiah went to battle and was cut off in battle just like that. We talked about the first cry, his first cry, the anguish of his first cry, the absence of God he felt in the first cry. And then we ended uh, with the fuller expression where he's talking about uh, vision uh, and light. The problem of vision is that we as Christians see things more clearly than others. Once you recognize God's character, you know when God's character is being blasphemed. Once you recognize God's laws, you know when God's laws are being disobeyed. And Habakkuk sees these things clearly. Calvin says his reaction was that he could not endure the law of God being made sport and men to allow themselves every liberty uh, in sinning. We come to uh, verse uh, 3 and the second part of verse 3. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention uh, arise. It's just the tumult of a wicked society. When men turn away from God, they, they turn against themselves. There are, these are strong words, but despite his ministry, uh, Habakkuk says the destruction and, and violence was uh, before him, in his view or reported uh, to him. This next facet of evil was a more general increase in strife and contention. People were set against people. Angry quarrels and accusations and fightings and disagreements. The proliferation of strife and contention uh, naturally makes way for, for the next step. Uh, we, we see it all the time. One thing happening in the news and it just flares the political scene. One shooting and it just flares the anger about guns. One shooting and it just flares the anger about race. And accusations just pour out and pour out and pour out. And it's all in a context of complete disrespect for authority and leadership, isn't it? He then goes on in verse 4 to talk about the lack of justice. If there's something that characterizes our age, this is it also. First, there is a problem with the law. The law is paralyzed. It, it means 
paralyzed, numb, or slackened. The Geneva Bible says the law is dissolved. Uh, It's gone. The law is powerless, the New King James. The law is not honored or respected, so it loses its power. You think of this lawless generation. You think of the people, uh, case after case. Oh, this is the guy's fifth arrest for DUI. You say, how is that possible? He just killed a, a, a family, and it's his fifth arrest for DUI. How is that possible? Because the law is paralyzed. This I, idea that I'm going to uh, plea bargain, and I'm just going to hope for some technicality that, that, that I'll escape. You, you can remember many uh, instances, but basically what happens is that the lawbreakers are, are not only in the prisons, that lawbreakers fill the streets. We have problems in our cities now. My brother reminds me often of Philadelphia, where I used to work. Oh, there was another five murders the other day. There was another three murders the other day. It just piles up and piles up and piles up. One person's killed, and it's all about race. Dozens lose their lives in our cities, and you hardly hear about it. Oh, well, that's because they're Republican cities. You know, they come up with some crazy thing. Reject God's law, reject human law. Habakkuk, as a true Israelite, would would love the law of God and know that it not only reflected God's character, but it was also it's also good for man. God's law is good for man. That's how man benefits. That's how he prospers. You, you look at other times when when the influence of the gospel uh, controlled nations, and you could see that it was good for man. He he prospered. Now the nation that was given the law is not following it, they're not applying it, and they're not judging with righteous judgment. The result is, Habakkuk says, that justice never goes forth. Never goes forth. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, in in the home, you might say things like that. You never do this. Oh, you can't say never. I sometimes I don't do that. Not never. You always do this. No, not always. Sometimes I do that. But that's how strong his word is. We might correct somebody and say, oh, it's not always, it's not never. But he says never. Secondly, there's a moral problem at the, at the core of the injustice uh, problem. The wicked surround the righteous so that makes the situation all the more difficult we can always ask ourselves, when in the history of the world have the righteous outnumbered the wicked? And the answer is never. And, and that's what he sees. That, that's what he looks at. It, our studies in the, the Minor Prophets would show us there, there's very few people that are following God. There's very few people pursuing a relationship uh, with Yahweh. Real justice never goes forth, so when there is a court decision... It's perverted in the favor of the wicked. You can think of trials that maybe you witnessed and you say, how did this guy get off? How did that happen? How did this guy not be brought to charges? You can think of things that even have happened in the presidency and you say, how does a nation overlook something that's happening right inside the White House? And they just say, well, the only problem was it was, uh, it was revealed. Somebody leaked it. And then everybody says, well, 
the Republicans did it. That's the perversion of justice. That's the ungodly surrounding the righteous. That's them making sure that politics reigns, uh, not God's law. Mr. Pryor says, society has come apart at the seams. It's very fabric unraveling with every misapplication or rejection of the law's demands. That, that's a good statement. You ever have a, a, a garment like that? It's, it's unraveling. I've made that mistake. Oh, let me, where does this thing go? Right? Well, I better not keep doing that. But, but that's what he's saying. It's unraveling. The, the whole fabric is unraveling. It's coming apart. I worked at a, a sweater and shirt factory. And, and literally the one time we, we had to return these shirts that they got, this, the sleeves would fall off. The customers were returning them because if you took that piece and you pulled it, there your sleeve was gone. But that's what he's saying. Unraveling with every misapplication or rejection of the law's demands. And as laws are perverted and not used the right way, it only gets worse because it makes it easier to come up with another law or another ruling that, that shows ungodliness. The best law in the world profits nothing if the statutes are not maintained. Oh, we have all these laws. We have all these statutes. If they're not maintained, it doesn't matter if they're the best or the clearest. As Habakkuk's cry reaches this crescendo, we can understand why he cried out and said in his prayer, How long? And before we get to God's reply, we just want to make some observations. We want to enter in. What kind of wrestling in prayer is Habakkuk doing? Well, first of all, first of all, he's open and honest, uh, isn't he? He's open and honest. Lord, this is how I really feel. This is what I perceive. This is what I see, and I'm, I'm bringing it to you. Uh, secondly, uh, there's a transparent dialogue, isn't, isn't there? He, he's not only open and honest, but... He's, he's letting it all hang out. I'm, I'm crying here, Lord. My soul is tortured. I really feel the pains of this whole thing. I'm not just praying. I'm praying out of this, this, uh, this climate. He acknowledges his struggle, but he also does not show disrespect. And, and we could take examples from those who prayed before us. Think of Abraham when he started to pray about Sodom and Gomorrah. God, if you would just listen to this. God, and he says, how many? Okay. Uh, and he says, well, what, what, one more time. Could I just approach one more time and pray one more time? God says, okay. And he thinks about it again. He says, Lord, if you wouldn't mind, could, could I approach one more time and petition? Look at Moses. Stood right in between the breach. We could think of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ Prayers for you are right in the breach between God's anger and, and, and mercy. And Moses said, God, please don't do this. You know them. You know they're stiff-necked. You know they're hard-hearted. I can't do anything about it. But please don't destroy them. Don't let people say that they couldn't even obey so God destroyed them in the wilderness. He did to that whole generation. But Moses stood in the breach and said, don't let this happen. We need to think about those we need to think about the, the Psalms. 
David was a praying man like Habakkuk was a praying man. David said, God, my, my soul is dry. I'm torn up. Sometimes he said, but I feel like all my bones are out of joint. You, you, you can't have all your bones out of joint. But think of the depths of those things that he was talking about. Think of Job and his interactions with God. He's got people saying, you know, this happened because you're wicked. And the sooner you repent, everything will get better. And Job said, God, I can't find anything against myself. You talk about the ultimate struggle, the ultimate spiritual struggle in somebody's mind. And you've got four people saying, you sinned, and that's why this happens. And you can't search in there and search in there and search in there and find one thing for the reason of, of all those things. And Job just says, could I just stand before him? Could I just have an audience with God? And, and Habakkuk feels it too. He feels that struggle. Well, then we go to God's first reply. And the first reply is different than you would expect. Because the first reply is God saying, it's going to get worse. What you picture is really what I'm going to do. And it's going to be shocking. It's going to be unimaginable. Unimaginable. God will do an amazing work. Wonder and be astounded. When, when, when the Hebrew doubles those words, you, you understand. God's saying, sit back and see what's going on because you're going to wonder and be astounded. I am doing a work in your days. And that was September 11th, wasn't it? In your days. That you would not believe if told. And anybody that didn't know what was going on that day, if you went to them and told them, they said, no way. No way. And then to see pictures of some other country or some other nation and people cheering and happy because we're not the most favorite people on the planet like we think we are. And there are people who wake up every day and say Americans must die. God answers Habakkuk with a call to look and watch, look and anticipate the answer, watch how the answer transpires. The effect of God's answer uh, will be global. It's, it's in your days, but he says, among the nations. And it only brings us back to Acts chapter 17 again, doesn't it? Who sets the time and the boundaries of all the nations and the habitats? God does. And he works among the nations. The execution of his purposes will call wonder and astonishment. The work that God is doing is so great that it won't be believed when you hear it, the amazing work and the answer to the prayer is even greater violence and destruction and that at the hands of a heathen nation. You say, well, God, you always do wonderful works. All your works are really, they're sought out by those who, who love you. We, we like to hear about that stuff. God says, you're not going to like to hear about this. From, a di from difficult situ situations, and even in this case, uh, we may expect to hear someone at least say uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is the train coming in right at me in the opposite direction. 
people often say, that's how it is. Trouble comes in threes. They have all these formulas. God says, this isn't a formula. This is me doing something that, that you're not going to believe even if somebody came and told you. We must realize that this is not a case of Murphy's Law, but God's Law. God does he does see all the violence and wickedness, and, and he's displeased with the perversion of justice. God's answer in this case is not to raise up more prophets and to have a stirring and lengthy revival. That's over. In this case, he's going to destroy the land and send his people into captivity. Coincides with the promises to, to punish that we've studied in the, in the, the other prophets, and, and, and we just... We'll leave that to your memory instead of uh, reading uh, the verses. This is always a part of the Old Testament prophet's burden. It, it should be a part of our burden as well. You know, our, our prayers shouldn't be, look, God, whatever happens, keep me out of trouble. Our prayer should be, I really feel bad, Lord, and I'm praying for those justices that make those decisions that are wicked and evil. I'm praying for my government. I'm praying for other governments that do things that are wicked and evil. Not detached. Not just keep me safe in the next wave of stuff. But, but praying for others. This coincides with uh, uh, the future eschatological message of the prophets. One of the writers says, watch God at work on an ever wider canvas. Here come the Chaldeans, but as we've seen in the prophets, it just keeps spreading out, doesn't it? It's eschatological. It goes to different times, and we'll, uh, we'll see that in a moment. It, if you read Habakkuk, you, you might not realize that, that these words uh, end up in Acts chapter 13. And Paul is preaching... And he mentions this prophecy. And uh, we'll turn to Acts chapter 13. It's a, a, a typical Pauline sermon, you might say. There are, there are uh, uh, arguments that are uh, being built upon. He's, he's trying to uh, address people, but he's, he's preaching a, a gospel sermon at, at, at Antioch. His, his first thing is to lay out all the history. Uh, uh, Paul, in a sense, may have learned from Stephen. You remember Stephen's message. Uh, it was very historical. He went back and he said, this is what God did throughout all history. And for the bulk of the sermon from verse 13 and following, uh, he talks about the, the history uh, verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him or understand him. They, they condemned him. There's the beginning of his application. Uh, notice also if your Bible makes a, uh, 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 makes a note of Old Testament passages, they're sprinkled in. There's, there are actually five of them. So so he's not saying, I'm speaking of something new. He's saying, this is connected with uh, predictions about Christ. Uh, one of them is that uh, he won't see corruption. He'll be raised from the dead. The other is that, that he truly is, the, is God. 
You're my son, today I've begotten you. In the resurrection, God begot Christ, it's his son. And then as he's, as he's wrapping up, verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. And then comes his application. And then he says, Beware. Beware, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if somebody told you. And, and there's Habakkuk's prophecy. But notice, notice as we, we go through this, that it's, it's different. He says prophets, not just what Habakkuk said, and it's a message to scoffers, and Habakkuk doesn't mention scoffers, but it is a message of astonishment and death. The, the word perish there uh, comes, comes from a, a, a Greek word. We would, we would get a, a phantom from it. Uh, he says you're going to perish, you're going to disappear. Because of what's going to happen, you, you're going to be gone. We've seen this before. A passage is quoted. It's, it's somewhat similar, but it's not exactly similar. But Paul says all of the prophets uh, spoke about it. There's greater purposes at work. God is in control of history and of men. The ultimate glory in God's plan is going to be revealed. And man remains in unbelief. Uh, the issues are, are the same. And God's word is the same. And I, I think for 10 minutes or so, I, I'd like to just go through this a little table that I, I, I made up, if you would call it a table, that just compares the two. In the context, Habakkuk talks about the Chaldeans. In the context of Acts 13, Paul begins with men of Israel. He's primarily preaching to the Jews but one of the most amazing things about Acts chapter 13 is at the end, as many as were ordained to return a life believed, Acts 13, 48. Gentiles were converted that day because that is the work in Paul's day. That is the work in, in the New Testament times that nobody would believe if you told it to them. The Messiah would suffer. Oh, I don't believe that. Peter even said, that's not going to happen. Gentiles are going to be converted just with the, just like the Jews. Oh, I don't believe that. The Chaldeans are going to come and destroy Jerusalem. Oh, I don't believe that. And God says, you're not hearing what I'm saying in both cases. You're not hearing what I'm saying. It's God's message all the way. Yahweh's message in, in Habakkuk. Uh, God's message in, in Paul's sermon, it's backed with those five quotes. Like I said, how, how clear could it be? Who's the only one that could arrange the history? Who's the only one that could take a, a, a verse to you or my son today have begotten you? Who's the only one that could take that and have it applied? In Habakkuk, it's interesting. 
There's a work in progress. There's a work in progress. God says, I'm going to do a work in your day. And, and Acts 13 is all about everything is done. Everything is done. Christ came, he suffered, he died, he was raised again, and now salvation can be preached. You can be free. You don't have to say, well, I can't, I can't obey this law no matter what I do. These sacrifices, they just don't seem to work. And Paul is telling you, believe, because now everything works because everything's accomplished in Christ. It's done. But there's, there's similarly a call to faith. We, we didn't get there yet, but in Habakkuk 2.4, God says the issue is the righteous one will live by faith. But the Chaldeans are coming, faith. But what about 9.11? Faith. But what about all these other things that are going to happen or could happen or even tomorrow something could happen that no one would even believe? We have to respond by faith. And Paul says this is a call to faith. But it's also a warning in both places. Look, nations, uh, be, have wonder and be astounded. God is doing a global work. And in Acts chapter 13, it's the same thing. A global work is being done. That's why they're at Antioch. That's why they're preaching the gospel. That's why the gospel is spreading. You read those, you read those passages. What an, what an encouragement. And the church grew. And the church grew. And this amount was added. And this amount was added. And they continued to do this. Beware. And Paul addresses scoffers. Or people who are despisers. And they said, that's not going to happen. That's not the Messiah we planned on. That's not the way it's going to go. You remember the pharisaical attitude. If this guy keeps up doing this stuff, we're going to lose our place. We're going to lose our status. And the Romans are going to come and take it away. And all their fears were realized without, uh, with them putting Christ to death, which they thought was the only uh, answer. And John says, he not only died for the nation, but for everybody else that God was going to bring in. And men thought they were working their purpose, but God was always working his purpose. One prophet's message, all the prophets are the same. We've looked at seven prophets so far. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're that far, aren't you? But, but they're all saying the same thing, aren't they? They're all saying the same thing. Obey God. Have faith in God. There's a threat of punishment. Be astounded at God's work. And all of them say, like Joel, I'm going to do a work in the future. I'm going to do a work in the future. Here's this, but I'm going to do a work in the future. It varies from Habakkuk, but you can, you can see the force. You can see how Paul could fit it up, fit it, and say all the prophets basically said the same thing. Everybody pointed to a Messiah. Everybody point, pointed to a complete work. So that's the comparison. Then, verse 6, God sends the Chaldeans. It's, it's, it's his purpose. And it's clear. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Oh, Lord, we want you to raise up some preachers. We want you to raise up prophets. And that day, he said, no, 
I'm going to raise up a nation. And then he describes them. It's, it's chilling. It's another wor word to underscore what's happening. It's literally the Chaldeans' commission. Commission. Here's a work that I need you to do, Chaldeans. And it fits. It fits. It's exactly what you like to do. I'm going to give you the job of going out and destroying other nations. They're like, yeah, that's what we love to do. We love to destroy other nations. We love to take everything and make it our own. You remember Nahum. The, the city was packed with goods. There was no end to all the spoil that they had. Good idea, God. That's exactly what we like to do. The problems of Habakkuk's day and the trouble in his soul are going to get go from worse to worse before they get better. Jeremiah's message was not heeded, and the Chaldeans come and defeat the land. And you could, it, Jeremiah is the step by step by step thing of everything that happens. Because by the end, nobody's in Israel anymore. Nobody's in Jerusalem, and they're figuring out now what we should do. And Jeremiah is told in the prophecy, remember, whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. And the other guy says, I think we'll go to Egypt. And they still disobey and they still go against God's word. And they, they hated his message. What are we going to do with the guy? Th throw him in a cistern. We don't want to hear him. He actually had a guy that said, oh, your message is wrong. Like, like the guy that said... Like the guy that said there was no deliverance and the prophet said, well, you're not going to, you see God's deliverance. God's going to deliver, but you won't see it. It's severe. One of the commentators says, God controls the political scene and uses nations for his own purposes. Oh, I'm really worried about the political scene. But the man's right. God controls the political scene. What are we going to do if somebody so-and-so gets elected? Well, I don't know, but God controls the political scene. Think of Daniel's prophecy. Uh, I have an English Standard Study Bible. And it outlines the whole prophecy of Daniel all the kings that are going to come, when they were, when they this, 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 this. And it's like, well, how come I never saw that? Well, I didn't stop and read it and make a chart like they did. But the bottom line is, you see, God is in control of everything. And the prophecies fit. This nation does this, and then 10 nations come out of that, and this many kings, and that, and this, and this, and boom, 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 there it is. And then this guy comes up and they say, well, that's Alexander the Great. And then this guy comes up and this and this and this. And then there's, there's everything. God plans history. Isaiah 28, 21 and 29, 14 basically say, say the same thing. God's going to be roused and he's going to do his deed. It, it, it calls it in Isaiah 28, a strange work. Alien is his work. He's going to do a strange thing. Well, the strange thing is he's going to punish his people. Therefore, behold, Isaiah 29 says, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. All those people that said, no, no, this isn't going to happen. But it goes, to the, it goes to the gospel age 
Also, if you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what, what did they say the preaching of the gospel was? Foolish. And, and what does Paul say are the purposes of the gospel? He's going to put to foolishness the wisdom of the wise. The wisest person you could find. You could ask, how, how could God save people's souls? They'd say, well, he could have them be good. Right? Or like that church, well, just have everybody admit they're not perfect, that's all. But he'll put to death, he'll put to shame the wisdom of the wise. And the Jews said, show us some more signs, show us some more signs. You remember Pastor Weaver's things. What did they want? They wanted a sign that fit what they, they just saw 5,000 people eat bread. And John chapter 6, he says, you're still looking for a sign. Go ahead. Yeah. And they say, yeah, yeah, that's it. Moses showed us a sign in the wilderness. Why don't you show us another that, that fits with us? And the Gentiles, what did they say? That's ridiculous. That is foolishness. But God's actions always shame the wicked. It always shames them and upsets and overturns their plans. Uh, then quickly, well, we can't go quick enough. I don't think we'll finish. But the Chaldeans' wicked character in, in 6b up to 11, they're described as evil, powerful, and arrogant. Uh, the summary of their ways, they're described as a bitter and hasty nation. Uh, some nasty words. Bitter, nasty people. They're a nation that act quickly to accomplish their domination. They march through the whole earth. Notice verse 7. They cause fear. There's a good reason for it. Because they're going to come and they're relentless. They make up their rules as they go along. This is a clear echo of Habakkuk's lament. The Chaldeans are a law to themselves, somebody wrote. And they continued. So God's answer to Habakkuk's lament about lawlessness and injustice is greater lawlessness and more injustice at the hands of the evil empire of terrifying cruelty. And then verse 8, verse 8 just brings it off the charts, and I think we'll have to end with verse 8. Notice the graphic picture. Notice the graphic picture. Their horses are swifter than leopards, right? So if you're a scientist, then you could say, well, uh, a, a horse technically can't run faster. No, that's not the point. They're more fierce than evening wolves. Right? You're, you're safe in the day. You're safe in the day, but nighttime comes and who comes out? Wolves. It gets dark and you hear that first howl, that first wolf's howl. And you say, it chills my bones. Because wolves don't hunt by themselves. They figure out how to work in a group. Look at these pictures. The horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle. Well, you know, technically a, a horse can't fly. But, but see, that's not the point. That's not the point. You, you thought injustice was bad. You thought wickedness was bad. You thought everything is bad. And God's saying, this is an army whose, whose ability and whose uh, everything is off the charts. It's not, it's not that like it can be like an eagle, but, but that's just they're going to come sweeping through. 
The horses can't really run faster than a leopard, but that's the picture in your mind. And we've seen in other prophets, it literally says you're going to run, but you won't be able to get away. And, and that's the picture. The, verse 9, we'll end with verse 9. Their violence, their faces are forward. This, this is showing their purpose. This is what we came to do. We're not going to stop until we accomplish it. And, they're, and they're, they gather captives. I think it says like sand, right? They gather captives like sand. Well, technically you can't gather. No, that's a lie. That's the picture. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a nation like that? And the answer is, no, I can't. But God is saying they're coming. But let's not stop with the dangerous Chaldeans. Let's remember that we must live by faith, absolutely by faith. Let's remember our trip to Acts chapter 13 and know that everything for our salvation, our comfort, and eternal safety is found and accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Chaldeans are gone. Jesus Christ reigns on his throne at this moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us please take this message into our souls. In Jesus' name.